The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. What is the hunger of your soul? What is the thirst of your soul? We live in a desperate time. When I see the church collapsing like a house of cards, it is literally collapsing before our eyes. And you say, oh, pastor, no. We have more people now coming to church than we've ever had. Oh, but what are you calling church? They're entertainment centers. They're concert centers. I was stunned to learn that even in the great evangelist, revivalist of the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, his church today 
flies the rainbow flag in their front window. As you come into the front office, there the rainbow flag hangs. If you are attending a church with a rainbow flag, you are attending an apostate church that is under the judgment of Jesus and will soon be utterly cast out of the kingdom. There's come a time when we have to begin to honestly deal with our own hearts. This is not about building our kingdom. This is about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we've got to come to the scriptures and deal faithfully with them and not bow down to Islam or homosexuality or the modernism of the entertainment age. We've got to stop. We've got to come back to prayer and scripture and honest teaching of the word. The world today scoffs at the church. Why? Because we've proclaimed as a church in America unconditional love. That's not found anywhere in the scriptures. It's a lie. God has very conditional love. He has unlimited love, but never unconditional love. And so we've taken the precious words of Scripture like grace, and we've given them a new meaning. We've taken the precious words of Scripture and corrupted them utterly like faith. We've taught you are saved by faith alone. Where's that in the Scripture? It's not there. You say, come on, Pastor, of course it's... Look! Go find it. The only passage that says saved by faith is in James where he says you are not saved by faith alone. We have so watered down, we have so dumbed down the gospel of Jesus Christ that anything today slides by if it's under the banner of Jesus Christ's name. But we are facing a great judgment in America because we have bought into the lies of our culture and made the gospel of Jesus Christ comfortable for the sinner. The gospel should never be comfortable for the sinner. It should always spark an awakening cry, revealing to them the very depths of the thirst of their soul. But if we slack their thirst with modernism, with entertainment, with lies about homosexuality and inclusiveness, we have literally blocked them from entering the kingdom of God. Somewhere, we have to have men and women who are willing to stand and say, Enough is enough. It's over. Finished. I won't participate with this anymore. I want Jesus 
and I want the resurrected life, and I want his fullness in the Spirit. So today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear some things that probably you've never looked at before. First, I want to say to you that when we look at the totality of the scriptures that deal with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the Gospel of John, there are very few things that all three carry. Those things that all three talk about, we need to pay special attention to. It's all scripture, and it's all a treasure to our hearts. But I want to grab a hold of what is particularly emphasized by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, in the Gospels, the coming of the Holy Spirit is spoken of in terms of a future event. It's always spoken of in the future. When we come to the book of Acts, the coming of the Holy Spirit is spoken about in the present. In the epistles, it's usually spoken of in the past tense when it speaks about what happened in Acts. Now, that's not surprising, but it helps us keep straight which passages we're dealing with to understand fully what Jesus was talking about. Now, I have to begin this message today with a very clear statement to you. And that is that my soul is thirsting for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, as soon as I say that, I know that some of you immediately take the position, I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit already. So, Pastor, I'm not thirsty. Really? I think as you listen to this broadcast and those coming this week, that could change your heart. I think, no, I know. I don't know of one person in the United States who is filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit as in Pentecost. A friend of mine went to a local church. It was a Holy Spirit church. And so, of course, he asked, is the Holy Spirit here? Well, why have you come? Well, I've come to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, you're at the right place. And so he was prayed over for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And nothing happened. And then he looked around. And it seems that the whole church was filled with people who had 
had some thirst for the Holy Spirit, but they were dead. They were not alive. It was not vibrant. It was not it was not Holy Spirit presence. It was death. And he went away sad. That's not a judgment on that church. It's simply that is the condition that we are facing today. Some years ago, there was a supposed revival in Toronto at the Vineyard Fellowship. And so my wife and I drove to Toronto and we listened and we saw people jerking. We saw people rolling on the floor. We saw people barking like dogs. We saw people hilariously laughing. But our spirits were left strangely dead. And then at the conclusion of the evening meeting, the first meeting, as we left, we said, Lord, why did we come? Is this your Holy Spirit? And the next morning we went again. And this morning was a prayer time. And so we all lined up. And pastors and prayer team people came and prayed over each person. A young man came to where my wife and I were standing in that line. He looked at me for a moment. And then he said, Pastor, we introduced ourselves. He said, Pastor, there's nothing here for you. You need to leave. And my advice is, go over to Niagara Falls and enjoy the weekend. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's have lunch. So he agreed, and and we went, sat with this young man who was very sincere and very honest. And he just said, I've decided to resign from this church as a associate pastor. I said, why? He said, because the spirit here is not the Holy Spirit. It's a kundalini spirit. That's why the Spirit of God said to me to tell you there was nothing here for you. And so when we left, after a time of intense prayer, we drove to Niagara and had a wonderful weekend at Niagara Falls, but disappointed in our hearts. Now, I share that story with you because many of you have believed that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet the evidence is not there. Oh, you may have spoken in a tongue. Most likely, many of you never spoke in a real language as came at Pentecost, but simply some kind of gibberish of prayer language. I'm not saying that doesn't have any value. I'm just saying that's not Pentecost. That's not the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's a touch of the Spirit, perhaps. I won't argue that. But there's something much more and much deeper that Jesus wants to do for us. So I come confessing today 
that I am spending hours day by day simply searching out the scriptures and praying for and waiting upon the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I know that baptism in the Spirit is coming, and I've determined that I will, much to my embarrassment even, speak about my struggle as spoken of in Luke the 11th chapter, where the man went and knocked on the door of his neighbor and continued knocking until he received all that he asked for. Was he embarrassed to stand in the middle of the night and pound on his neighbor's door? Yes, I'm sure he woke many people up and they were very grumpy and angry. And the man in the house was angry. Don't bother me. I'm with my children. We're in bed. Go away. I can't help you. But he continued knocking until finally the man knew he would get no rest until he got up and gave this man the three loaves of bread. And that's what Jesus said to us about how to approach the Father for this baptism in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If we think we already have it because of the culture of the church, but yet we don't have the fullness in our spirit and the and there's no welling up of the springs of life in us and we go and live a normal life in America, we did not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can say, yes, Luke 11 said, would the Father give us a scorpion? No, he would not. Would he give us a stone? No, he would not. So I ask for the Holy Spirit, so whatever I have is is the real deal, and it's, no, it's not. Come on, get real with me. Don't pretend We've come to a point in the history of the church where we have to stop pretending with Jesus and with the culture. They want to see the real deal. They need to see the real deal. Millennials have almost no interest in the gospel of Jesus in America. That's what the research shows. Why? They know it's phony baloney. They want the real deal or they don't want anything at all. So there's a story in Scripture that we need to begin with today. Jesus has been baptizing. No, his disciples were baptizing. And it's causing some difficulty between the disciples of John and his disciples, or him. It seems that there's some competition feelings going on. And so Jesus leaves. And to go home to Galilee, pardon me, he has to travel through Samaria. So they come to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, it's lunchtime, he sits down at the well and the disciples go into town to buy some food. Now, a Samaritan woman 
comes to draw water. Now, this was an unusual event because usually they would come in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening, and they would come together. But she came by herself. Obviously, a woman who was not respected among the other women. And Jesus says to her, Will you give me a drink? He's hot. He's tired. He's sitting at the well. He has nothing to draw the water with. And she comes, and he simply says, Will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman says, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now listen to Jesus' answer. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, I suspect that some of you, had you been sitting at that well, would have said to the woman, Did you know that you're a sinner? And did you know that you can be saved? That's not what Jesus did. Instead, he goes right to what will become the central focus in the church. The central tool to be used to win the lost. And it's not all the modern conveniences. It's not social media. It's not radio or television. It's not the internet. He offers her living water. Now, for a Jew, that reference to living water would have been familiar. I'll get to that in a moment. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Now listen. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Literally, Jesus is saying, I have water to give you that will literally well up from your belly and be a constant source of renewal and life and energy for you. You will never have to depend on the flesh or the world again. Now the woman doesn't understand what Jesus has just said. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She didn't like going to that well to draw water all by herself. It was embarrassing. So Jesus now drives right to the home point. Go, call your husband, and come back. 
I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And now she begins to enter into a theological discussion or debate about where we should worship. But listen to verse 23. This is John, the fourth chapter, verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, she says, I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. And so she leaves behind her water jar. She has not drawn any water. She didn't give Jesus a drink of water. And she goes into town and begins to spread the word, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Now, in this story, I want you to notice something. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritan came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. I have heard over and over and over, if you want to win someone to Jesus, just give him your personal testimony. This woman came and gave her personal testimony. This is what Jesus has shown me. This is what happened. And many came, and they believed that Jesus was who she said he was as they met him. But I want you to notice that Jesus did not dispense any living water to this woman or to any who came out of town to meet with him and talk with him. And so they came, they heard, they believed. But they did not worship God in spirit and in truth. They only could worship him in truth. Listen, many of you worship God in truth. You have studied the word, You've been taught well, but you do not worship. You do not worship in spirit. You worship in truth. And now Jesus stays two days and he walks away. He will not stay with the people who do not worship in spirit. And most of us, and I included, the greatest sorrow of my heart 
is that I have pursued earnestly the truth of God. I was raised in a denomination that to me did not adhere to the scriptures. And the great desire of my life has been to search the scriptures. And I have read it from Genesis to Revelation more than 50 times. I stopped counting after 50. It may be 75 or 100 times by now. I just keep reading it from Genesis to Revelation. I am searching for truth in Jesus. And most of my understanding of the gospel has changed from what I was taught at the seminary or what I was taught in all kinds of seminars and workshops My theology has dramatically shifted and changed based on what I have found in the scriptures. I found in the scriptures truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so, yes, I have come to know Jesus and many of his ways, and I rejoice in that truth that I have discovered. I believe that doctrine is absolutely vital. We're told in Scripture to watch our doctrine. That's what Paul said to Timothy. So, I've watched the doctrine, but my heart has thirsted because the doctrine has never satisfied my soul. There has been an empty yearning in my heart all of my life. Now, I've said many times, I only want Jesus. And that was true for many years, but now I want more than Jesus. Does that shock you? Now I want the one Jesus said would take his place and be our comforter, our paraclete, our guide, who would stand with us, who would enter us, who would be in us. And in him, in us, comes also Jesus and the Father. I want the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to dwell fully in me. The cry of my heart will not be satisfied by accomplishments or by studying the scriptures. My heart will not be satisfied with great success. I have cast aside my desire for success or the building of a great church. I'm not interested. I'm interested in the fullness of the Holy Spirit who is sent in place now of Jesus and of the Father. And when we have one, we have all three. And the promise of Scripture is that he would come and dwell in us. And so it's clear in the story of this Samaritan woman that she saw the truth and she believed the truth. She believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And the other Samaritans, they likewise believed that Jesus was the truth. But they did not worship in spirit. Why? 
because Jesus could not pour out his spirit yet because he had not yet ascended to the Father. I want to say that again. The Holy Spirit is not given to the disciples, nor is it given to the Samaritan woman, nor is it given to anyone other than Jesus. And he could not give the Spirit to anyone else until he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. The only giver of the Holy Spirit is Jesus himself. If a man or woman is anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit, they can only be used as a channel through whom Jesus can, if he chooses, flow the presence of the Holy Spirit into that man or woman's life. It's not as though I receive the Spirit and now I have the power to give the Spirit to whomever I desire. That's not how it works. Jesus himself is the giver of the Spirit. Now, I want to look with you at another passage of Scripture. And this is found over here in John, the seventh chapter. Now, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. They have come to the last day of a seven-day feast. And as, as was the custom on that last day, the priest took silver pitchers and went to the pool of Siloam. Now, I've been to the pool of Siloam. I stood there, put my hands in the water, prayed, said, O God, will you send me the living water? This thirst of mine has been growing over the last couple years to a fever pitch. Because Jesus said in John 15, you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing without the Holy Spirit presence in your life. And I have to confess, I've accomplished a great, be- a great big deal of nothing. Yes, I've built churches. Yes, I've brought a few people to Jesus. Yes, I've been on radio and ministered to you, and I'm very grateful for those opportunities. And I'm very grateful for your responses but I have not brought revival to Washington. I've not changed this city. Oh, you think you should, Pastor? No, I don't think I should. I think Jesus should. And I think Jesus is looking for people who will humble their hearts and begin to get in touch with the thirst of their soul and give up all the pretense, the pretending, who 
will not think that because they go to church and sing a few songs, put a little money in the offering plate, listen to a wonderful sermon by a preacher, that somehow you're on the right road. You're not. You're on the wrong road. You're being vaccinated against the hunger in your heart for the Holy Spirit. Finally, we're going to have to get honest. We see the corruption in the church. We see the desire to make it a money machine. We see the desire for worldliness and success. Churches going millions of dollars in debt to build their facility when facilities are at every corner. Even unfinished facilities. But would we humble our heart and go and say, can we share a church with you? Well, we'd have to hold our service in the afternoon and that's not acceptable. Really? Really? We're so proud, so arrogant. Well, what happened? The priest scooped up the water in their silver pitchers and they took them in and they poured it in a funnel, a silver funnel, a beautiful funnel that was high up and the water then went down to the altar. And while this is going on, Jesus stands up and in a very loud voice proclaims, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him would later receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. In other words, Jesus had not been to the cross yet. He had not been resurrected. He had not been glorified. He had not taken his place at the right hand of the Father, and so he could not pour out the Spirit and so he's crying out and saying, Anyone who believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Are those streams of living water flowing from within you? They're not flowing from within me. And that's the greatest sorrow of my heart. I am weeping over that. And I am crying out to God that he would change it. There's going to have to be a, a dramatic change in my life and in your life if we're going to finally get honest with God and deal with whatever needs to be dealt with in the way of confession of all sin, repentance of all known sin, I listen to a man by the name of David Pawson. He was speaking about these matters. And he said, I don't know how God can come and revive a church 
that walks in such wickedness before God. He said there's going to have to be a reformation before there can be a revival. Now I think those two things very likely happen together. But we live in a time and a place where without a reformation, without a reformation of behavior and beliefs, a confrontation with wickedness, with sodomy, a confrontation with lying, cheating, stealing, a confrontation with bitterness and anger, a confrontation with ambition and lust for money and power, recognition, success, until we're willing to come and let the Spirit of God deal with us on these issues and we confess them and repent. The love of the, of the culture, the love of the entertainment of the culture. I spoke to a Christian dad. He'd just taken his children to a country western concert, paid big money. Doesn't he know he's training his children to be pagans? Jesus would not go to the football game or the concert, and he certainly would not pay to go into a church building and listen to a concert in a church building. Such wickedness, such incredible apostasy against against our Lord Jesus. It makes my heart grieve. It makes me weep before him. We've got to stop. Some of you, you know God is calling you to be serious with him, and yet you continue to drink. You get drunk. You continue to love your cigars. You love the theology of the unconditional love and the sinning Christian. You love this Calvinistic wickedness. And believe me, Calvinism is wickedness. I don't even consider him to have been a Christian. A Christian would not burn a man at the post for simply disagreeing about the Trinity. And that's what John Calvin did. You know, I'm I'm just stunned by the foolishness and the wickedness that's going on in our churches. The lies that are being taught. This living water is what we must have, but it will require intense confrontation with our own ways, our own beliefs. And it's going to take a very brave man or woman who is willing to finally sit down and say, Holy Spirit, would you tell me how I am offending you? Will you show me in the scriptures how I need to live before you. 
I will repent of every sin you show me, and I will instantly walk away from it and leave it. Some of you have been playing with the sin of alcohol and drugs, pornography. You've been playing with the sin of, of fornication. You've been playing with the sin of ambition and pride. You've been playing with these sins all your life. And now you feel, well, all I can do is the best I can do, and God's going to have to cover the rest. Well, he'll cover the rest by sending you to hell. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. He meant the Spirit that was to come later. That day, no one had that living water to drink. That living water was going to come later. Now there's a there's another story. Do I have time? I have time to at least start it. It's found in the book of Acts. Saul came persecuting the church like a fist coming down on the Jerusalem church and people squirted everywhere. One of the godly men was named Philip. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed Christ there. Now this was close to where Jesus had been at Sychar. The crowds heard Philip, and they saw the miraculous signs he did. They all paid close attention to what he said, and with shrieks, unclean spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Why was there great joy in that city? Because the Holy Spirit was moving in great power in Philip. He was not even an apostle. He was a layperson. But he was filled with the Spirit of God. He had been baptized in water. He believed in water baptism. Some of you today have even convinced yourself you don't need a water baptism. You might need a little sprinkle, but you don't need to be water baptized. But the scriptures say water baptism. I don't accept any other baptism. The Bible doesn't accept any other baptism. I know some of you are saying, you old crank. No, I'm not. I just want what the Bible teaches. I want the truth, and I want the Spirit. Do you want the truth and the Spirit? Okay, then follow. There was great joy in that city because of all of these wonderful things that God was doing. Now, there was a, name, a man named Simon. He practiced magic. And he'd impressed all of the people with his sorcery. 
and he boasted that he was someone great. And everybody said, hey, this man is something. The divine power known as the great power dwells in him, and they followed him around, and they watched his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Now, I want you to catch this. They have believed the truth, but they have not been baptized in the Spirit. They have believed the truth, but they've not been baptized in the Spirit. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John, the God squad. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Peter and John placed their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Well, how do they know? Because up to that time, any person who received the Holy Spirit there was a dramatic change in their life. They had that well of water springing up to eternal life. They were made alive. They became a worshiper in truth and spirit. And they spoke the foreign languages. They did not speak gibberish the sign of the Holy Spirit is the ability to speak the foreign language now I don't know why I can't explain why all I know is that that's the record of scripture when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles hands he offered them money and said give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit so he wants a new gig he recognizes that the power that is there in the Holy Spirit is much greater than his sorcery power and he wants to make a living with it and Peter answers him may your money perish because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord, and perhaps he will forgive you for having such thoughts in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. two things I want you to see very clearly. First, the Holy Spirit does not always come automatically when a person is baptized. They are two separate events. 
You cannot pray to be baptized in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and expect the Holy Spirit to baptize you in the power of Pentecost. It doesn't work that way in the scriptures. It works that way in the common understanding of the church today, but frankly, after people are baptized, nothing happens. Now, if nothing had happened in this church in Syker, people would have soon grown very discouraged and the church would not have prospered because the well of water would not have been flowing in them for the salvation of others. Well, we're out of time today. I'm going to continue this study tomorrow on the Holy Spirit. There's more I want you to see in this story. And we'll talk about that as we open tomorrow's broadcast. I want to ask you the honest question. How thirsty are you for this well of water to spring up in your life? Because it'll change everything about you. It'll make you pure and clean before God. It'll sanctify you wholly. Yes, to prepare for it, we confess all known sin. Yes, we pray. Are you willing? Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I pray this has been a blessing to you. If it has, would you subscribe to the YouTube? God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. I love you. Presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.